Today we're going to spend most of the message is actually just going to be just coming straight from the scriptures, just hearing the story of Jesus' crucifixion. And I'm going to start off at chapter 14, verse 53. Oh, so, sorry, we've, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. We've been, we, we do a series, so we sort of start at the beginning of the book and we work our way f- right through it. But just for today, we're just skipping forward a few chapters. Um, yeah. So we're skipping forward to chapter 14, verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and is sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with human hands, and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and he said, What further witnesses do we even need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man was one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away, and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. 
And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! Pilate said to him, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail the king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed. And spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they'd mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And some of the bystanders hearing it said, look, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. There were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. It's usually a bit hard to read that without getting a bit emotional. I wonder if you've ever really considered what was the greatest cost for Jesus to be sacrificed for our sins. You see, we humans, our perspective is usually very fleshly or very carnal uh, because our perspective is so much bound to this life. And so we often feel that the greatest cost to Jesus may have been the excruciating pain of crucifixion. By the way, do you know that's where the, the word excruciating came from? It comes from the Latin, excruciatus, which means from the cross. Death on a cross was so painful, they made up a whole word to describe it. Excruciating. And so we might think that the, the greatest cost was the excruciating pain or maybe death itself, the loss of mortal life. And there's no doubt there is an enormous cost there. But to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I believe the cost was far greater than the pain. It was far greater than the loss of life. As I read about the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus, especially in this Gospel of Mark, I notice over and over and over again that Mark doesn't emphasise the execution in all of its gory details. He just says he was crucified. And of course, to people of their day, they knew very well what that meant. But he doesn't, he doesn't emphasise the gory details. 
What Mark tends to do is he tends to highlight the humiliation. Here we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Lord of heaven and earth, the one to whom all glory and honour is due, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is being utterly humiliated. The one who is usually surrounded by angels who worship him is surrounded by people who hate him, mocking him. At the end of his shambolic trial, hidden away in the darkness of night where the only witnesses that they could find were false witnesses. And yet Jesus subjected himself to this humiliation. He could have just left any time he liked. But he stood there and took it. And after they condemned him as deserving of death, they spat on him. They played with him. They toyed with him. They, they put a blindfold on him and they, they'd hit him and say, prophesy to us, which one of us hit, hit you that time? Even the title they gave him, the King of the Jews, we know it's true. But they gave it to him, mocking him. Not even Pilate gave him any justice. Pilate just gave the crowd what they wanted. And then when Jesus was handed over to the soldiers, the whole battalion came to make fun of him. They dressed him up in a purple robe, something that looked like a royal cloak. They made a crown for him out of thorns. Then they saluted him, hail the king of the Jews. They'd strike him on the head with a reed. They spit on him. They'd kneel down and give homage and they stripped him. And they gambled for his clothes. And so there was Jesus, naked, nailed to the cross. The picture of utter humiliation but that's not where it stopped those who passed by derided him wagging their heads <laughs> you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days save yourself come down from the cross and the chief priests and the scribes mocked him he saved others he can't save himself let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And from Mark's perspective, even those who were crucified with him reviled him. The thing that strikes me is a way that Mark highlights the absolute humiliation of it all. And I get this. I personally would rather endure pain than be humiliated. I hate it. I just hate being humiliated. I'll do anything I can to stop it. And I'm not the God who deserves honour. Jesus is. I reckon some of the greatest cost was the humiliation the rejection, the abandonment. Just before he died, what did Jesus cry out? Eli, Eli, 
Lama Sabakthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a cry of utter despair. But I want to talk about that phrase for a moment. Today, um, it's common evangelical theology to say, well, Jesus said that because at that point, Jesus was loaded with all of the sins of humanity and God couldn't bear to look at him. Right? We often hear that being said. But I want you to note, nowhere were we actually told that in the scriptures. It may be true. It may not be true. And I sort of suspect not, because God looks upon all sinners. He looks upon all of us, even as we're sinners, and he loves them. But the thing I do know is that very common explanation often prevents us from digging a bit deeper and digging into the scriptures a bit more to see what else it could really mean. Did you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know that's the first line of Psalm 22? Right? Most of us know Psalm 23 very well, pretty well. What about the one before it? Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a psalm that begins in despair, but it ends in triumph. It begins with the feeling that God has abandoned him, but by the end we realise that things are not as, at all as they seemed. The psalmist is not abandoned by God. The psalmist continues to have faith that God will hear him and that God will rescue him from death even if he dies first. Isn't that a bizarre concept to have? God will rescue you from death even if you die first. And that's the concept that Psalm 22 puts out there. You know, today, if we want to point somebody to a certain passage of Scripture, how do we do it? We quote, book, chapter, verse, don't we? So we all go to John 3.16. So if I said John 3.16, you would all say... Yep, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's right. And it's very convenient for us to be able to do this, but I understand that it was only in the 1300s when they began adding chapters to, to the Bible, to the books of the Bible. So how did they used to guide somebody to a certain passage in the scriptures before they had chapter and verse? How did they do it? Let me give you a little hint. You want to pop something up there for me, Jeremy? If I was to say to you, Australians all let us rejoice, what am I referring you to? The National Anthem, which is? Advance Australia Fair. Right. What about once a jolly swagman? If I just said to you, once a jolly swagman, what do you instantly think of? Waltzing Matilda. Right, we'll get a little bit harder now. Been shearing sheep, been mustering stock, been culling out ruse, been spraying the crops. Boys from the bush, we've got some Lee Kernigan fans here. Right, Bush disciples had to have the boys from the bush. All right, that is the way we could point somebody to a particular song. And that's the way they used to point somebody to a particular psalm. They'd just say the first line of it. And so as Jesus hung on the cross, to those around him, it seemed that God had deserted him. 
And Jesus says to them, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what he's doing? He's pointing all of those people to Psalm 22. Do you reckon we should have a look to see what it says? Let's do that. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. All right, so it's a, it's a song that David wrote. They're going to sing it to the tune of the doe of the dawn, and it's for the choir to sing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. <laughs> Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lot. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when he cried out to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. 
My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kings belong to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Wow. That, that's all I can say to that. Wow. It's like Jesus is saying to them, you want me to prophesy? I'll tell you what, there's a prophecy that's already been made and I'm fulfilling it. You have a look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22 was written about a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. And there he was, fulfilling it, almost word for word. And yes, it looked like God had deserted him. There he was. Cursed is the man who's hung on a tree, and there he is, nailed to the cross. Those who spoke for religion not only rejected him, they were the ones who were responsible for having him put there. It looked like God had deserted him, but he hadn't. This was God's purpose for Jesus all along. And the crucifixion, and yep, it gives the appearance of despair, but it ends in triumph. And that's why it's not evil Friday. That's why it's good Friday. And of course, on Sunday, we'll celebrate the victory of the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you that you are not deserted and neither are we. Lord, we want to thank you that just as you hung on the cross and it looked like, looked like you were totally deserted by God, we know this wasn't true. This was God's plan and purpose. And Lord, I want to thank you that at the times in life when we see all of these situations climbing up against us and seems to be just tearing us down and, and there's that part inside of us that goes, God has deserted me. Lord, I want to thank you for the truth of the matter that you have not deserted us. I want to thank you that as we continue to trust in you and continue to turn our hearts towards you, you are faithful and you are with us every step of the way. We thank you that even unto death, you are with us. And Lord, we look forward to that glorious day when Jesus returns with all of his faithful 
and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The exact opposite of when you were on the cross and everyone stood before you and gloated. We look forward to the day when everyone will kneel before you and worship. Amen.